Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. your Bible and again go to Ephesians chapter 4. And, and as you're getting back there, let me recap the last few weeks, okay? Last few weeks, here's where we've gone. Um, two weeks ago, we looked at the saint's calling. And the saint's calling is to accomplish the great commission. And we talked about how the great commission is not necessarily going, but making disciples of all nations. That is the great commission. And we talked about the process of that. And then we looked at last week the church's calling. And the church's calling is to equip believers for the work of ministry. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verses um, 1 through 17 or 16. And we looked at what that looked like and, and why that's our goal and why we can accomplish so much more that way than kind of the traditional way that we've done ministry in the last hundred years. And today we're going to cover this idea called the Disciples' Transformation. The Disciples' Transformation. And we have a mission statement, uh, a mission statement that we have as a church. And, and what we're going to try to do is to kind of ingrain that mission into our minds. I think we've got a slide up here, Mr. James, that has a declare disciple and deploy and our mission in the middle. Our mission statement is to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. To help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. Now, if you're a person in this room, you're in there, okay? That's you. Now, the reason why we've kind of worded it that way is because every one of us can be more devoted as a disciple of Jesus. Can I get an amen on that one? None of us have made it. None of us are perfect in every way. Therefore, we all have, we are all works in progress. And I'm thankful for Philippians 1 6 that says, The same one who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So we are heading toward glory and wanting to become more devoted disciples of Jesus. And that is for us. That's our mission statement. We do that by declaring the gospel, discipling the believer, and deploying the church. We deploy to declare the gospel, to disciple those believers, and to deploy those people back into their community. And that is an ongoing circle that never ends. It is a process that we don't want to see happen once, but we want to become generational inside of our church and in our ministry. So this passage right here really describes that mission statement. And I want you to see it, okay? I want you to see it in this passage. Now, you'll see two things. One big comparison being made. There's a comparison being made of the life and character of the Gentiles and the life 
and character of those who are believers. You'll see those things being compared, and it's really clear. So let's look at verse 17 together. He says, Paul does, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so we see the Gentiles. This is what they look like. And Paul's first encouragement to you and me is you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must no longer walk. And the word right there is not another step. That's the idea. Don't take another step walking as the Gentiles do. Now, can we just have a time of confession real fast? Sometimes I fall short of that. Do you ever just say to yourself, man, I am really trying, but it seems that if I take one step this way, then I I turn around and take one step this way. One step forward, sometimes two steps back. Two steps forward, sometimes one step back. But you just can't seem to always get it headed in the right direction. Am I the only one here feeling that way this morning? It's a journey. It's a journey of faith. It's a a continual process in our lives of becoming more like Jesus. Now, I had the privilege uh, just a few weeks ago in Israel to baptize uh, a sweet lady who's with us today, and she'll be joining our church at the end of our worship service, Miss Ethel Jackson. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm showing you some pictures up here for two reasons. That's myself and Joe. Both of us are equally bald on top. I went home and I said, Liz, I didn't know it was that bad. Why didn't you tell me? And she said, when did you ever think it wasn't? And I said, good, good point. So, Miss Ethel, we baptized her. That's the first picture. Go to the next one. There she is, buried in a watery tomb. And then the next one, raised to walk a brand new life, right? What a glorious privilege. And that was the first time that Miss Ethel had ever been baptized by immersion, and we celebrated that together, and she hugged me afterward, and this is what she said, and man, it broke me. She said, I just want to be all His. And I said, me too, Miss Ethel. But do you ever feel like you're not all the way there? Two Fridays ago, Ella woke up early in the morning crying, which was odd. It's 5.30, 6 o'clock. I'm awake having my devotion time. I kind of skip up the stairs as quietly as possible so as not to wake up the other children. And I go in her room and I said, baby, what's wrong? Listen to what she said. I just want to be like Jesus. All I could say was, baby, me too. And I was broken. Because I thought to myself, when was the last time I wept at the lack of Christ-like nature that I see in me? 
Now, she might have been playing me at that moment, right? But I don't think she was. And this, this is our life goal as believers. Is to be all His. To not be divided. Have you ever felt like you have a divided spirit? That this part belongs to Him and this part doesn't? Paul says, don't take another step on that path. And so I want to I just look. How do they walk? Paul defines how they walk. And we're going to see us in some of this. And we're going to maybe see a picture of something else in this. It says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then it defines them in the futility of their minds. That word futility can mean a couple things. It can mean vanity. What is vanity? When you think about the Bible, the the whole overarching uh, story of the Bible, and somebody mentions the word vanity, what do you think of? Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, the preacher says. Vanity, it means empty. It could mean foolishness or folly. And he says, they walk in vanity and folly. It reminds me of Romans chapter 1. Do you remember where it says they claimed to be wise, but they became fools because they traded the one true living God and worshipped the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever? Vanity, folly. And then it says they were darkened in their understanding. Darkened in their understanding. That word darkened can also be used for blinded. When your eyes go dark, they have become blind. Do you remember when Jesus quoted Isaiah and he said, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear? I think that's Isaiah. Seeing they do not see. Oh, they claim to see. Do you remember when Jesus heals the blind man who was blind from birth? And really what happened is it was the blind man, even while he was blind, could see who Jesus really was. But it was the seeing people, even though that they could see, couldn't tell who Jesus really was. Right? Are you with me? They were darkened. Then it says they were alienated from the life of God. Alienated. They were strangers to it. That's a strong word. Doesn't mean that they were unfamiliar But it was altogether alien from them. The life of God. Why? Because, he says, of the ignorance that's in them. That word literally means exactly what it means. Ignorance. They have no knowledge in them. Why? Goes on. Due to the hardness of their heart. That word hardness can also mean stupidness. The unwillingness to see what is right in front of your eyes. The hardness of their heart. Then it, so verses 17 and 18 really speak about the character of the person. This Gentile, the character, their insides. And then it goes on in verse 19 to talk about their, their actions how their actions flow out of their nature. And it's true that our actions always flow out of our nature. We can only be what we are until we are something different. He says in verse 19, they have become callous. The King James Version says they're past feeling. They're callous. 
Have you ever felt callous? Like your heart just doesn't feel? I used to weep over my sin, but I don't weep over my sin anymore. I used to long and for the, the lost, but I don't long for them. I don't even really think about them anymore. I used to love meditating on the Lord. I used to find delight in the Lord. But now my heart is callous to those things. It's past feeling. Now let's just be honest. All of us can find ourselves falling into seasons of callousness and darkness and blindness and, and, and all, all hardness of heart. All of, we can fall into seasons of this even as believers but these Gentiles are not just experiencing seasons of this. They're living in it. They're callous. And then it says, they have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now that word sensuality means giving yourselves over to the appetites and passions of your flesh. Sometimes it was used as a very sexual manner, but other times it just means passions in general. Giving yourself over to them. And in this idea, there are no boundaries. There is no shame in this idea of sensuality. It's not like you're trying to do what you know is evil in a dark room so that nobody sees you. No, you're doing it in front of everybody. It's lewd and you don't have no shame. And then it says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They could never get enough impurity. Never get enough. They were always wanting more. Their appetite for impurity could not be satisfied. And so Paul says, don't walk another step in the way of the Gentiles. Now, here's my question. Doesn't this sound like the state of our nation futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding, and they alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous, given themselves over to sensuality. They're just all in for whatever the passions are. If you got the passion, go for it. Don't have shame about it. Go for it. Greedy for more impurity. Sounds just like the state of our nation. But then Paul turns the table in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that's not the way you learned about Christ. That word about is not in there. So if you were learning about Christ, you would learn a set of facts here, here's the timeline of Jesus' life. Here's all that Jesus did. Here's who He said He was. These are all the facts of Christ. But He doesn't say, learn all about Jesus. He says, that's not the way you learned Him. You learned Him. And there's something different. Doesn't that sound odd? We can learn facts, but He says, no, you're not learning a piece of information. You're learning a person. You're learning a person here. That's not the way you've learned a person. And the learning of a person is, is not through the gathering of information, but rather the learning of a person involves a relationship to him and nearness to him. So, how did we learn Christ? Let's look. It says, 
kind of this parenthetical statement in verse 21, assuming that you've heard of him. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So he makes a caveat here. That's not the way you learned Christ if really you did learn about Christ. And there's a, a, a subtle warning in there that, that is for us who claim to be believers, who some of us might be believers in name only. We know facts about him, but we have no relationship with him. And, and, and the New Testament says that's damning information. Because knowing all the facts and all the history and all the, the, the teaching of Jesus does not equate knowing Jesus. Even serving and working for Him. Do, don't you remember? Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name, do many mighty miracles in Your name, cast out demons in Your name? And He will say to them on that day, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Let me, let me just bust up our theology for a second. The demons are well acquainted with the facts of Christ. They are far better theologians than you and I are. The difference is a demon has not submitted himself to a relationship with Christ and the lordship of Christ and said, I need Christ. That's the difference. You could be in this room and say, yes, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but you've never said, I am the one that Jesus died for. And if you haven't said that, you need to learn Christ today. It's not about learning, knowing about Him, but it's knowing Him. And better yet, Him knowing you. You know the greatest thing, one of the greatest things, there are lots of great things about Jesus, but one of the greatest things about Jesus is He knows everything about you. And He loves you anyways. Now, just think about that for a second. Some people can love you, but they don't know everything about you. You got things hidden from them. And that doesn't feel right, does it? Some people can know everything about you and not love you, and that's rejection, isn't it? But Jesus knows the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart. Not only does he love you, but he willingly went to the cross for you. To be fully known and fully loved is one of the great miracles of the gospel. And that's what we are. So we need to learn Christ, assuming that you were They've heard about Him and were taught in Him. As the truth is in Jesus, Jesus is the truth. Do you remember what He says in John 14? I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is truth incarnate. So let's clarify something. Paul is about to tell people to do three things, or three things are necessary for the disciples' transformation to put off the old, be renewed in mind, and to put on the new. But let's recognize that he's not telling his readers three steps that you need to do so that you might earn salvation. Because he clarifies that really well in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, not a result of works. It's the gift of God. Amen? 
So he's not saying these are the three things you need to do if you want to be saved and go to heaven. But he's actually saying more along the lines of something like this. Once you're saved, that's not the end goal for the believer. The end goal for the believer is sanctification. Not salvation, but sanctification. So in salvation, we were made holy in, in standing before the great courtroom of God. But in sanctification, Jesus begins to make us, little by little, what He declared us to be through the cross. Through the cross, He said, you are holy. You're not holy because you are holy. You're holy because I am holy, and I've imputed my holiness into your life. Through sanctification, He says, now let's get to work, because I want to make you what I declared you. And that's a process. So it's the outflow of salvation is to desire that we would have the desire to be made like Jesus. That we would strive to become in action what we, which, that which He has made us by faith. And so he says there are three in, indispensable parts or ingredients of sanctification. Of being made like Jesus. He says you've got to put off. You've got to be renewed in your mind, and you've got to put on. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus says in the gospel, if anyone wants to come after me, he's got to do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what does that process look like? Okay, let's look. Verse 21, or 22. This is what we were taught. So this is the content of the teaching, assuming that you are You've heard about Him and you were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. This is the content. Three infinitives or three two phrases. To put off your old self, verse 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in verse 24. To put on the new self. Okay? To put off, to be renewed, to put on. Okay, so we've got to put off and to put on. Think about it like a, a set of clothes. Um, Last night we had uh, a couple other boys at our house spend the night and we all as boys went out into the front yard and played a hearty game of football in the front yard and by the end of that football game, every one of those four boys uh, was gross. And, and I, we walked in somewhere around 8.30, it's getting dark, I love this time of year, uh, it's getting dark, and I said, now you guys smell, go take a shower. And, and, and so they had to take off, and they had to put on, that makes sense. But what, what in this passage is in the middle of taking off and putting on? Being renewed. And so that's where I want to start, because taking off and putting on hinge on the being renewed. Here's why they hinge on that. Because... Because you can modify your behavior. Do you know that? Do you understand that about yourself? You can modify your own behavior? Oh no, I've got a, a cussing problem. What do I do? Stop cussing. Start using other words. You can modify your behavior without knowing Jesus. Are you with me? Stop doing this. Start doing something else. But Jesus is not in the business of behavior modification. He's in the business of heart transformation. And when your heart is transformed, 
He will get your words in line with your heart. Amen? Your actions will fall in line, but if you just have the actions, that does not necessarily mean your heart is transformed. Think about the Old Testament Levitical sacrificial system. That was a lot of long words there. Old Testament sacrificial system. They would offer sacrifices. But you know the problem with the sacrifices? Is they would present these sacrifices for their sins. But the problem is that the sacrifice could never change their heart. And so that's why there was a new covenant. And it was not a covenant in the blood of a lamb or a goat or a turtle dove. But it was a covenant in the precious blood of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to take out from you that heart of stone. I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh. Are you with me? So the putting off and the taking or putting on, they are hinging on the fact that we are transformed or renewed in mind. So that renewed, what does it mean? It's two words put together, ana and ne'a'o. Okay, ana ne'a'o. And it's the idea of to raise up or to make new the mind. That's the ana is to raise up or make new and mind is ne'a'o, to raise up the mind. So what is the, the mind being raised to? Or let, Before I get there, think about the, the comparison that Paul's making, the Gentiles and the believers. These people's minds are darkened, ignorant, hard, and callous. And he's saying, don't be like them. You need to have a renewed mind. You need to have a renewed mind. Are you with me, church? So he's making a comparison. So what is the mind raised up to? I think I have a scripture on the screen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So we have to set our minds on things above. That There is a different way of life that Jesus has come to initiate, and it does not look like the world. In fact, they're alienated from the life of God, and God wants you to be alienated from the life of the world. He wants the world to be strange to you. Why? Because your mind has been renewed because you've set your mind, you've raised up your mind to where Christ is. So how do we do that? And I don't know about you, but the greatest battles that I fight, I fight between my ears. So how is my mind renewed? How do I do that? Three ways. Number one, <clears throat> beholding God's glory, to behold God's glory. If I want my mind to be renewed, the first step is to take a deep look at the glory of God as often as possible. Are you with me? You say, that sounds weird. I don't even know what that looks like. How do I behold God's glory? Don't you remember what God said to Moses? No one can see my face and live. So if, if Moses couldn't see the glory of God, how do I see the glory of God? Well, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, in fact, that we can. It says, and we all with unveiled face. You remember how Moses veiled his face after seeing the glory and being transformed? He veiled his face. He said, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. 
So what's the transformation hinge on? Beholding God's glory. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Our being transformed from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And we see the glory of God most directly when we look at the face or the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in fact, is the glory of God incarnate. You don't believe me? John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in John chapter 17, Jesus prays in His high priestly prayer, He says, Father, give me the glory that I had with you before the world was created. So when we look at Jesus day after day, when we just set our eyes on Him day after day in His Word, we behold the glory of God. And when we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we begin to have a renewed mind. Beholding His perfection and His compassion and His power and His love and His sacrifice and His suffering and His tears and His joy and His death and His resurrection. That is the freedom. That is the motivation for putting away the old and putting on the new. Dr. J. Elder Cumming, he said it this way. He said, in almost every case, the beginning of a new blessing is the new revelation of the character of God, more beautiful, more wonderful, more precious. You want to behold Him so that you can be renewed in your mind? Ask God not to give you a new prophetic word. He has given us all the prophetic word we need. But uh, may, the, may His Word, may Jesus become more beautiful, more wonderful, more precious to you. Moses beheld Yahweh and he glowed. And the more we behold Him, the more we become like Him. So number one is to behold His glory. Number two is to abide in relationship. To abide in relationship. Now, church family, we don't often do good with this. Okay, to abide in relationship. Now, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. He says, abide in me. Look how many times he uses the word abide just in these two verses. I think it's 11 times in John chapter 15 he says abide. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that, who bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So listen, church family, to learn Christ is to learn to abide in relationship with him and nearness to him. And this is one of the glorious gifts of the gospel. It's not that through Jesus you can just be forgiven. It, but that, if that was enough, or that was all, wouldn't that be good news? That would be enough. It's not just that you get to go to heaven. But if that were all, that would be enough. But it's that when you trust Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Your impurity is made clean. Your sins separated from you. As far as the east is from the west, thrown into the depths of the ocean. 
And the Bible says that through the sacrifice of Jesus, you have been brought near to God. You know what the greatest reward of the gospel is? Is that sinners get God. How much of Him? All you can handle. But it comes in relationship. What does your relationship look like? Is it just Sunday morning? I go to church on Sunday. Check. I even went back to church on Wednesday night. Check. That ain't relationship. You could do that with a boss that you hate. Relationship is abiding in him and with him. Do you remember before you were married, you thought you knew your spouse? And then you got married and you moved in with them and you learned them. Amen? Some of you learned stuff you didn't want to know. I'm talking about Liz learned things about me that she didn't want to know, of course. We are drawn by the grace of God into an intimate, loving relationship with the God of the universe. Can you just sit in that for a minute? He is almighty. And He is loving and compassionate. He is infinite. And He is intimate. And that's what we're brought into. And we need to, if we want to be renewed, we need to live in that. Third, to dwell in truth. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says it like this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I, I challenge you. I've done this before, but I challenge you to go this week and read Psalm 119. It's 170 or 75, 175 verses. It's long, but spend the week doing it and find out how many times the author of Psalm 119 says something like, I love your word, I delight in your word, I long for your word, they're my treasure, they're better than gold, they're better than silver. Your word, the sum of your word is truth. I just challenge you to look at Psalm 119 and say, do I, do I dwell in God's word like that? Do I meditate on it day and night? Jesus says in John chapter 17, he's praying again to the Father and he says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We can't be sanctified unless we're dwelling in the truth and the truth is dwelling in us. That. That is how my mind is renewed. And that is how I learn to take off the old self and put on the new self. By learning Christ in this way. I don't learn to hate my sin by hating my sin. Have you ever tried to stop sinning by saying, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin? Doesn't work, does it? I learn to stop sinning or I learn to hate my sin not by focusing on my sin, but focusing on Jesus. If I learn to love and, 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 and dwell with Jesus and abide in Jesus and, and dwell in His truth, if I learn to do that, guess what I'll start to do? 
I'll start to hate that which is not of Him in me. That's how I learn to hate my sin. How do I stop sinning? Focus on Jesus. Renew your mind. I've seen what my sin has done to me. Haven't you seen that in your own life? I've seen what it's done to my relationships. I've seen now, because my eyes have been opened, I've seen what my sin has done to Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. So that sounds awfully horrible. Well, number one, we don't understand how, how horrible sin is. Number two, we don't, under, we don't fully grasp the depth of which the pain and suffering that Jesus had to go through to save me from that sin. But when I understand that, I, I got another hand. I got another. I'd rather be blind and obedient to Jesus than seeing and not. So what are we taking off? Verse 25. I'm just going to blast through this because it's not really in our text for the day. Well, what are we taking off? He says, therefore, having put away. You see that same word, same idea, put away. In, in, in verse 22, you put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, put away, in verse 25, falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and don't sin. Verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That's what we're taking off. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he says it in an even stronger way, Paul does. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. Put it to death. And one Puritan pastor said, you better get busy killing sin or sin will be busy killing you. The author of Hebrews says, we got to take these things off. He says, run the race with endurance the set before you, laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We can't run the race that Jesus has laid out for us if we've not taken off our sin. We just can't. We can't fulfill our mission if we've not laid aside the old and put on the new. So before we can put on Christ each day, we must daily take off our old nature. And we put on the new self. And this is how he describes it in verse 24. To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. Not after the likeness of the Gentiles. Not after the likeness of the rulers of the world. But after the likeness of God. Not like the Gentiles, but like Jesus. This is the idea of being born again, the old life gone, the new life raised in its place. The problem is that we're born again and we live in the same world that we died in, didn't, don't we? So day by day, we've got to say, renew my mind, put to death what's earthly and raise up which is of, that which is of Christ every day. And that likeness of Christ is true righteousness and holiness. In other words, apart from Him, 
apart from a daily putting aside because of the gospel and a daily putting on, your righteousness isn't true. In fact, it's filthy rags. Your holiness is not pleasing to the Lord. The only way our righteous deeds and our holiness are pleasing to Him is when we do it through the cross. So I have four reflection questions for you today. And this is how we're going to end. They're up on the screen. Are you feeding the old or the new? Are you feeding the old life or the new life? Whatever you feed is going to grow. Are you feeding the old life or the new life? Number two, do you prioritize beholding, abiding, and dwelling? Prioritizing, that's going to take some time. Do you prioritize beholding the glory of the Lord, abiding in relationship with Jesus, and dwelling in His truth? Prioritize that. Do you? Three, what needs to be taken off? Maybe today you've, you've heard some words through the Scripture that you say, ding, 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 Ryan, that was me. That needs to go away. What needs to be put on? Kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. What needs to be put on? It's not on. So we're going to open up the altar for you. This is a time for you to meet with the Lord. It's not a time to sing, folks. If you shut off your brains right now, you're shutting out the Holy Spirit and what He wants to accomplish in your life. Meet with Him. Maybe you say, Ryan, I've learned about Jesus, but I've never learned Jesus. And I want to come into a relationship with Him today. Trust Him. You want to join the church? Come join the church. But today we have an opportunity to respond to God's Word. So would you stand with me? Stretch it out. Say, Lord, teach me right now. Pray with me. And if you want to move to the altar at any moment, you move to the altar. Jesus, thank you for the blood. That takes my sin and washes it and makes it white as snow. Thank you for the cross that takes the wrath of God and gives me the mercy of God. Thank you for the empty tomb that puts to death an old life and raises up a new life. Father, I pray for anybody in this room who has never learned Christ that they would today. They'd trust Him. Today. They'd say, I need Him as my Savior. I want Him to be my Lord. Today. And Lord, for the rest of us, Father, forgive us for taking this journey called life too lightly and oftentimes reflecting the world more than we reflect Christ. 
point out in our lives how we're doing that. Lead us to repentance and Christ-likeness through your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.